0: Welcome to the Call the Farms podcast, a place where we explore the journey our food takes from farm to table. I'm your host, Tim, along with my wife, Sophie. Hey, friends. And together, we hope to inspire you to connect with your food and embrace a more sustainable way of life and rediscover the joy of nourishing your body and soul. In this episode, we discuss our chicken story.
1: Chicken story? This will be interesting.
0: Our chicken story.
1: Well, chickens are the gateway animal. That's right. I don't know who coined that term, but we hear it all the time.
0: Sounds good. It got us into homesteading.
1: We didn't know it at the time. In 2019, we started growing out our backyard garden. I really felt this calling to prepare, and I really felt it in my bones to prepare. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand why, because I think we had gone to Hawaii five times that year with the entire family, (laughs) for work, so work got to pay for most of it. So it was great. But I kept feeling this this urgency to prepare and I couldn't put my finger on it. So by the end of December of twenty nineteen, this is all before, you know, what was gonna happen in twenty twenty. Right. But you said, Okay, we'll take that class in um what is it? Santa, Santa Cruz? Cruz. Yeah. Yep. And it was this class that I've been eyeing for over ten years. I never thought that I could grow anything. I could barely keep a succulent alive at the time. But the farm was called Love Apple Farms in Mm -hmm. Santa Cruz. Took a class there for the winter. And by February of 2020, we had four raised beds. All of our veggies were planted. I learned how to do permaculture at that point. Mm -hmm. And by March, what happened was things started shutting down. Before March 16, 2020, I had already identified, you know, thinking about getting chickens. There was this lady out in Mill Valley that... I was selling her chickens, but I couldn't convince you to get on board. Yeah,
0: that's absolutely right. I mean, up until that point, I loved rotisserie chicken, fried chicken, and I didn't know what a live chicken was like up close and personal. Yeah. So when you mentioned going up to Mill Valley, and you told me how much it would cost to procure these chickens, I thought it was a little crazy.
1: Well, okay. It was March 16, 2020. And the only other time in my life that I ever heard stories about lockdowns or curfews was from my parents. And they Mm -hmm. told me that's kind of what happened at the fall of Saigon. And when that happened, with the lockdowns and the curfews, you actually got shot on the street. And they witnessed that. And I heard those key words again for California for the very first time in my life. I mean, it was frightening. And so, the first thing I thought was, you know, hey, we take care of our parents, our family, you know, our extended family. And I said, well, we'll just find a way to get some protein. And that was eggs. And worst case, we'll get a chicken and eat that for meat. But that's kind of where the mentality was then. And so on March 16, 2020, that night, when the curfews were put in place in California, we bolted at 730 at night, I remember. And we were just Praying that we weren't going to get in trouble <laughs> um, crossing the bridge to, you know, through San Francisco. And we bought three chickens, get ready for this, everyone, for $300 each. And they were egg laying hens. So we didn't know what, what was going to happen. All we knew was we needed to get access to chickens that were laying eggs. I remember on that car ride back through the Bay Bridge, I remember looking at you and, you know, we had these three hens in a cardboard box in the trunk. And I remember telling you, I said, honey, I never, ever want our family to be in a position where I have to worry about feeding, you know, seven, eight people off of three eggs a day and thinking, how am I going to split this for everyone? Do we split uh, scrambled? How do, how do we even cook these three pieces, you know, these three eggs? And so that was just kind of the mentality at the time. And so we've come a long way since...
0: Yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm, I'm allergic to aches, too. And I had to be okay with it at that time because we never experienced anything like that. And I'm sure everyone out there who was listening, we never experienced anything as well like this back in 2020. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what was going to happen. Supermarket stores were closed. And, right. And, and people were rushing to purchase bags of ice, uh, toilet paper. So, yeah, we were worried about food.
1: Well, yeah, and, and literally March 17, March 18, all of the grocery stores closed, not just like Safeway, but all Whole Foods, all Sprouts, everyone, just every, the whole Bay Area just came to a screeching halt. And I think most of California did as well. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge eye-opening experience for us to realize, yeah. wow, how vulnerable are we
0: yeah.
1: being here And I used to have our groceries delivered by Whole Foods and Instacart literally within an hour and thought that was the most progressive and most (laughs) convenient way to live. However, it's a very fragile position to be in if the food system happens to have a crack in it. And in 2020, we saw that firsthand and it really has sent us off on this journey to where we are today.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So we started out with three chickens. And then from three went to five. So that was what a lot of people finally refer to as chicken math, because we had um, shared what we, were, what we were doing with our friends and they wanted to get in on this. They wanted us to still take care of the chickens, but they wanted to be able to reap the benefits of having eggs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And then one of our hens, she went broody. And so, what that meant was she was just sitting on a clutch of eggs, and we just didn't know what she was doing. Come to find out she wanted to be a mama.
0: Yeah, we had to Google that.
1: We had to Google that. (laughs) We tried to break her of her broodiness, and then one day we thought, well, you know, why Mm -hmm. not? We went and
0: got some chicks at the local feed store.
1: Yeah, they were a day
0: old. And then based off of our online research we did a swap at night and I remember I took out my headlamp yeah, that I it was had a from red. the army and it was had a red. Red, red light on because I didn't want to scare her and it had to be tactical so in the middle of the night we lifted her up and placed a chick and I liken it to my one of my favorite movies The Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones swaps out the, the idol with a bag of sand I felt like I was Indiana Jones at that time and I was switching out the chicks in <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out actually she took to the chicks yeah. and made her her own
1: right and so we we raised chicks and and that was that was really good and i think we had 3 chicks and then we ended up with 8 heritage hens
0: we've come so far in just 3 years now we're just talking about how we got started and it just sounds so naive
1: well i think <laughs> we were having fun i think it was everyone's at home and we wanted things to do and we were learning and we like to collect different colored eggs we wanted to take photos of them oh yeah oh, so yeah. it was fun we you so. know what we have now we have function over fashion in california it was more uh fashion chickens over function
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. and we've grown a lot and i think a lot of our priorities have changed too mm-hmm. over the past just three short years We moved from there, and we started our first homestead in Northern California. Four,
1: four years now.
0: Four years now? Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh.
1: We've been homesteading for four years.
0: So, we went from there. We got more land. We expanded our chickens operation. So, the chicken math was, like, multiplying. Mm -hmm. And we we learned a lot about raising chickens and multiple roosters and having to deal with that.
1: We had about four. 40, roost, uh, 40 chickens mm-hmm. um, up in our land in, in Northern California.
0: We went from there, and we learned how to process the birds, too.
1: Yeah. We raised different types of birds, like meat birds versus egg layers. There's a difference between the two.
0: Yeah, we never go easy, huh? We have, always have to go all in. And Well, you got 100 ducklings. You mentioned you wanted some ducks. I might as well go all in. It just it looked pretty when I was on the website and they look really cute and,
1: they're really cute you uh, still have a soft spot
0: for ducks you really love ducks i love ducks and they give you a discount when you buy more and, <laughs> and it's really cool because when you raise the ducks what is it again with well, the ducklings they the, imprint
1: oh yeah they imprint
0: and they follow me along the ducks are so cute Hmm. anyways we well,
1: you don't just love them our our little ones do too and yeah. in fact one requested that you brought them over so
0: we, so we did we brought when we started our homestead out in tennessee we brought the chickens the heritage hens that we acquired in california along with the ducks <laughs> we brought them over even though we don't how have was, a pond how, and
1: uh-huh. you want to talk about that experience because you had them
0: it was messy i, I had taken them on highway 40 and stopping every couple of hours and make sure there was enough water it was super messy in the back of my truck and only to get there only to arrive and to see my little one just chase after the ducks that, mm-hmm. that was it and then it's just to bring her joy
1: yeah well it helped with the it transition like, yeah. immensely
0: <laughs> that's true <huh? laughs>
1: so it was worth it though so. your truck still smells like duck and chicken
0: yeah it's a work truck it's a farm <laughs> truck though yeah
1: Well, and once we got here, we realized that um, you grabbed the older hens Mm. that weren't laying as many eggs anymore. Yeah. So, we had hatched and raised some new chickens that were just starting to lay when we left California. And chickens typically, if you don't know this already, they they lay eggs for about two to three years most. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after that, most people will just have them around as pets and just clean up the yeah the, the garden or spread out manure
0: <laughs> <laughs> the garden birds basically <laughs> but then what happened was that they were out here and then one or two of them i don't know how many of them started eating the eggs and that's why we we're trying to figure out who's eating the eggs and who's teaching the bad habits
1: when chickens start eating their eggs they teach each other and so it's a bad habit to break and um you really can't you can't really can't break it after that we processed those heritage hens and then we realized um, what we were going to do was we wanted to be more self-sustainable and uh, did more research on raising dual purpose birds and so we love the buff orpingtons that's what we raise today yep. they are great egg layers good meat uh, they're docile and most importantly they go broody Which means they sit on their clutch of eggs, and they want to hatch their chicks, Mm -hmm. and they make great mamas. When we got here, luckily we found a farm that was getting rid of their about two-year-old Buff Orpington hens. So we bought 20 of them to replace the ones that we brought from California. Mm -hmm. And then we have a great friend of ours here in the community that had like eight roosters, and so we grabbed Mm -hmm. two we knew that we were going to have to replace these hens that we just got anyway, but we got them at a great discount at a great price. Yep. So we said, okay, um, we knew that we were going to have to either incubate the eggs because they're now fertilized with the roosters, or we were going to let the hens hatch and sit, sit and hatch on their eggs.
0: Yeah, naturally, right?
1: Right. So that's what we did this year. So in just a couple of weeks... Mm-hmm. We, we've hatched about 17 chicks, Yeah, but it wasn't that smooth because the very first one that we hatched, the mother took her and it was so sweet. We mm-hmm. have so many videos of yeah, that one. Very cute. Very cute. Um, however, <laughs> you know, we waited, you know, four four days, five days. We didn't see another yeah. chick come out. She was
0: sitting on a bunch of eggs.
1: She was sitting on a bunch of eggs. And so um, actually one of them... I think day three, I did see a cracked egg, mm-hmm. and there was a dead chick, and yeah. I was super, super bummed about that. Mm-hmm. But I thought, well, maybe that was a fluke, but it, it, it formed into yeah. a whole chick, so I didn't understand what might have happened. Right. And someone on Instagram messaged me and said, wow, you're so lucky that you're able to hatch your chicks, because mine actually killed all of hers except for the last one Mm -hmm. because we finally caught on that she was killing them yeah and i thought well that's weird why would a hen sit on her eggs for 21 days and then kill them
0: psychotic (laughs) i'm so glad that she shared that with you i'm really glad yeah i
1: I, yeah exactly so then i went out right after that and (laughs) and disrupted her and got her off her eggs and sure enough yeah. There were two other dead chicks, uh-huh. aside from you know the one living one that she was caring for underneath her wing. And I just thought, so weird. that's so strange. But it was because she must have thought that the other chicks that were hatching were predators, which yeah. is why she went and attacked them. The motherly instinct has been bred out of these hens. Mm. So even though we chose the buff Orpington because they're they yeah. are broody and they make great mamas. Yeah. They actually don't know how to be a mom anymore. Wow. And and at least be mothering. And the reason why these motherly instincts are being bred out is because these chicks come out of incubators by the thousands from these hatcheries. Yeah. And then within the day of yeah. their hatching, they get sent out through the post office in the research and conversations that I've had Turns out the chick that was raised under our broody hen, our first one, who knows the warmth of mama's wings and has been under her protection, when she grows up and becomes a mom herself, she'll be a great mom. And we're hoping that she will be able to hatch out all her eggs Mm -hmm. um, and be able to be a great mother to all of them. All that to say... In, in the research that I read, it will take several generations for the mothering instincts to come back. But the good news is is that it does come back. Yeah. And so
0: That's great how news. can
1: we apply that to our society today? What instincts are being bred out of us as moms? When I had my children after giving birth to them, I had to go back to work. FMLA is only about 12 weeks of unpaid job-protected leave.
0: Nowadays, especially where we were at in Silicon Valley, both parents needed to work Mm -hmm. to survive.
1: Yeah. And oftentimes, the mom makes more money than the dad's, right? And so, Mm -hmm. in, in that case, it makes it challenging because moms have to go back to work, and at Google... For example, you can bring in your child for daycare and it's $57,000 a year for employees. You know, tech companies will even pay you as a health benefit to freeze your eggs in order to have them at another time. And after you have your children, daycare is about $2,000 a month on average.
0: There's so much stacked against women in the workplace where women were not being paid equally as men for doing the same amount of job and you know always having to achieve to break the glass ceilings Mm -hmm. and that you felt even discriminated because you homeschooled your children oh yeah and you're right and so that's unheard of because you need to be just as competitive and you need to be just as focused on your job as the next woman or man there at work
1: Well, I mean, I spoke at Google headquarters in San Francisco with women specifically telling them that, yeah, absolutely, you should go after it because we have the empathy, we have the skills to be able to work in tech and provide great value and to understand that sometimes as women, we just take on a lot of roles and responsibilities Mm -hmm. without without asking for extra pay you right that's just how we are as nurturing moms you have to understand working in big tech in the heart of silicon valley there is a certain type of lifestyle that is acceptable right it is a you wear a badge of honor to be able to say hey i commute two hours to work and two hours back (laughs) and you know i work 80 hours a week that is true it doesn't mean that it's healthy or it's it's you know, good for you, but that is that is the praise that you get in the Bay Area. I'm now coming out to say this is so unhealthy mm-hmm. and it's not right. Right. I think that there is a balance in trying to you know, where you don't give up your entire career or your livelihood. Right. But there has to be some sort of balance where we we don't just continue to run that rat race and there's no exit strategy. When I started to disentangle from the system and started to homeschool our oldest, I mean, there were some laws that were being passed, what, in 2015, 2016, these laws were being passed in California. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to homeschool. And because I worked at the office, so you ended up homeschooling the children quite a bit. We chose a great curriculum where it could be very simple for busy working parents, mm-hmm. where we could just you know cross off. Okay, here's what the pages we need to read today to go through all of this, um, from math, science, reading comprehension, all of that. We tag teamed it. We did tag team it, but yeah. Somehow, my VP of marketing at a top Fortune 500 company told my boss, mm-hmm. who po- who pulled me into the office and said, "Hey, you know, I wanted to tell you this because." I didn't want you to hear it from anybody else. The VP of marketing is asking how you're able to homeschool while working.
0: And these were mothers, too, themselves. She
1: was a mother of three daughters. Mm -hmm. Here I am managing $3 million in ad spend for this company, running top performing campaigns and growing the business. And instead of asking me about how I was managing the campaigns or how my campaigns were performing, yeah. Because I literally started a whole department on digital optimization before conversion rate optimization was a term. Yeah, I actually led and created a certification program with CXL Live. Instead of asking me about that, she asked me how I was homeschooling my children while working. And yeah. I booked a trip. I went to D.C. I did my run from my old dorm room to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Mm -hmm. And this was the place where I called it my mountaintop experience, where I just go, I sit there, I pray, and I really contemplate like big, major life decisions. I flew back in a couple of days. Monday morning, 9 a.m., I turned in my two-week notice. Mm -hmm. I... I'm not going to put my job over my children. Mm. And I know that's a really hard thing for me to say because at that moment I realized I'm committing career suicide. Yeah. In tech and the level that I was in my role at these large companies, it you don't just
0: Yeah, you don't give it up. You don't just give it up
1: in homeschool. You Mm -hmm. you just can't. Right. There's um a certain reputation that you kind of have to uphold, unfortunately. And You know, the other kicker was when I was in grad school for my master's in clinical psychology, I remember that even though I wasn't thinking about kids at the time, I took a child development class and I remembered what they told me, which was the formidable years for a child is the first five years. Mm -hmm. Now I'm hearing that research shows that it's actually the first eight years. That's why we chose to slow down from high tech to low tech. It's stepping off of that rat wheel Mm -hmm. and thinking back of the chickens it's really taken me around you know who i am as a mom and how society has all these pressures on mothers specifically our hormones that get affected by how we eat how we live the level of stress all of that affects our instincts our mothering instincts and so i feel like this journey has led me to kind of unplug from that and return to our roots, return to the land, and live a simpler, intentional life. So now, you know, documenting these recipes and stories from my mom for the cookbook that's coming out, Nourishing Asian Kitchen, it's, it's really taken me on this journey to see it to fruition and um, take it from literally, you know, the life that we we're living to the life that I feel we we're meant to live.
0: You had what we learned at West Point is you had that personal courage. You had to stand up. You had to take a stand and do something that was not popular, that was like a career suicide to do that.
1: Well, I mean, it's not a popular opinion in the tech world. It's definitely coming out, you know, from a position of where I was and really shouting from the rooftops to mm-hmm. say we've got to break the glass ceiling for yeah. women, especially minority women in business and startup and tech communities. Yeah. I even wrote an article that went viral to talk about that. So, to yeah. come from that place to now, hey.
0: The high tech to low <laughs> tech. It's like, what happened here?
1: Well, it's not just what happened. There has to be a balance. At the end of the day, how can we still provide a good foundation mm-hmm. for the children And also realizing that in an instant, your manager can say a comment such as that. And you could potentially lose your job. And it's discrimination. Hands down, that was discrimination. In that instant, it made me realize I could work for this company. Because I was on four years. And I was thinking, you know, that company is a company that was stable. You could stay there for the rest of your life. And I was thinking, I could stay at this company for 18 years. And they could still let me go. And I would have lost all that time with the children. My place at home is Mm -hmm. not replaceable. No, You know, they could hire an intern. I had interns that I worked with. They could easily fill one-fifth of what I was doing at my job. But it doesn't mean that I'm not irreplaceable. You could replace me with five other interns, and, and there I'd be out.
0: So going back to that then, so how did you make that change then from, like you mentioned, speaking on stage and being a voice for empowering other women in tech to now essentially doing like a 180.
1: I don't feel that it's that different. Like I said in the previous episodes, being a startup founder, someone who's worked at the executive level versus being a farmer. Now, I never thought that would be a farmer, but we face our problems head on in the same fashion of understanding like, hey, how are we going to prioritize this? You and I have these meetings all the time. Like, what do we need to prioritize? What goes first? There's a lot of things to do, but what's the level of impact and the level of effort? And how do we prioritize off of that? How do we work together? It's all the same workings of how we work at home and at work. Yeah, It's just, it's it's the same amount of grit. And I think that's the, at the core, that's really what it is.
0: But you're using the same skill sets, but what changed? Because I remember when you first started working, you... From contingent contractor to full-time worker to chasing after working at startup companies, being an entrepreneur, working at these Fortune 500 companies and working yourself up that ladder. What changed, though? Was it just that comment from your boss? What was it that switched where titles didn't matter anymore?
1: That's a good question. I think it was after having the kids, especially the second one realizing how quickly time goes. Our oldest one was already growing so fast and entering kindergarten and then our second one. And I didn't want to miss out on any of it. You know, even when I was homeschooling, I was home, but I was not really present. I didn't want that. So then I transitioned from that position. I started to take slow steps to disentangle. I started to find a company for design prototyping tools, a startup company that was all distributed. And that's when I worked harder than I ever did before. We went on a cruise, you remember?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was working throughout the entire trip. Yeah. And one of our friend's kids at the time, she drew a picture of all of us on the cruise, except I wasn't on the cruise. And I was <laughs> like, hey, where's Auntie Sophia? Uh huh. And, uh, that, that made me really cry. That was that was a moment that I was like, okay, so you, you quit going to the office. You work remote now, but you're not even present because it's just a level. It's the, the type of work that I do.
0: But that's normal, though. That was expected in that kind of culture. How did you know in your gut that that was not what you wanted? Because that's in a way like the sacrifice you make to get to where you used to dream about achieving
1: i think i worked myself to burn out
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i think so too i mean only because i you know live with you (laughs) experienced it i just burned out
1: like it just became so overwhelming and then i hit this like i hit rock bottom it was the dread of waking up the next morning oh that's what it was Mm -hmm. i literally have ptsd hearing that ping from slack to Mm -hmm. the point where i don't even have it on my laptop or on my phone anymore. Like, I get to Slack whenever I get to it. I just can't hear it anymore. It's Mm. so bad. All I know is society, the way that we're moving today in the very unique space of where we're from, born and raised, and what I grew, you know, my career in, tech, it's a very unique culture. And I hate to say it, but there's a group on Facebook, you know, it's literally on Moms regretting that they even had kids. It's heartbreaking for me. I get it. I get that it's hard. I get that it's tough to balance Mm
0: -hmm. a
1: full-time demanding job.
0: A lot of expectations. Yeah, yeah.
1: and having children that also are very demanding for your time and your energy. And you don't have all the resources. You're running off a limited supply of resources. I get it. But it breaks my heart to see that there's even this Facebook group or that there's even one mom out there who feels regret for the child that she bore. And I understand that there are unfortunate circumstances where she may feel that way. But oftentimes when I hear this, it's because I'm trying to grow my career. I'm trying to balance my time with my husband. I'm trying to do all of this. And it's so overwhelming. I don't like my child. And that's the part that just breaks my heart. Because I think that society today has designed it where with like, Like, the workplace hasn't put in enough support Mm -hmm. for moms. And moms, I wrote another article on this about how moms are needed. They are the most needed force in the workplace. Mm. Why? Because we have empathy ingrained in us. For me, it was elevated once I became a mom. Yeah. But I started to really care about what other people feel, like my children, for example. Mm -hmm. And when you're designing a product or you're doing marketing, Mm. you're going to need to have that empathy so that you can design a product for the user and you're going to create and craft compelling messaging for the user. That's why moms are needed in the workplace. However, in the industry that I was working in, it was not a supportive culture.
0: And you're talking about modern society, but society's been going against the family for quite some time now actually why don't you share about the invention of the microwave
1: ah yes uh back in the 1950s when the microwave was invented that's what allowed women to start going into the workplace yeah so that remove the need for the mom to cook and prepare meals at home because they could just buy frozen refrigerated food and stick it in the microwave. So, again, that's with the invention of the microwave and technology, and how it's, yes, been able to be convenient for families, for moms, but it's taken, you know, one half of the core unit of the family outside of the family. So now both parents are out working. And I think that there is a way in society where we can bring some of this back in a way that creates a nice balance for the whole family and can encourage the family to be thriving both in the workplace and the home. Yes. I don't know exactly what that looks like. And mm-hmm. we're trying to find out that balance ourselves we uh, are. on the daily. We are. But we just have to create it. We have to find it. We have to it's it's more work. I'd say I, I'm working harder now trying to find that balance. Mm-hmm. And I have taken a step or two back in my career, but it's been the most satisfying because I've been here for our children's Education, and even if that means, you know, being there and encouraging them. Like today, Mm -hmm. we had one of our children look through templates on how to create her little Mm ebook, right? And how cool is that to be able to be a part of it? Because these types of programs in the Bay Area would be another $2,000 a week for a program like this. And just last week, I took the children out and we pitched at a food venture. (laughs) Yeah, And they watched Mommy pitch the idea with people who were asking questions on how to design the product, what are some obstacles yeah. that we would need to overcome, what are next steps, you know, have we thought through some things, and what are the challenges and how do we overcome them, and things like that where even if it doesn't come to fruition, they were a part of it. So, maybe in the future, yeah. when they do have an idea or when they step into a boardroom meeting… yeah. They have seen mommy model it for them.
0: Right. Yeah, I like that you brought that up because we've tried to incorporate them in every aspect of what we're doing on a daily basis, whether it's just typical farm chores or we want them to be creative and work on a business idea. We've actually been able to meld the two together. Just more recently, we had to process chickens um, with our neighbor and they were involved. They actually learned how to do it firsthand themselves. And we videotaped the process, and they got a chance to witness the whole entire uh, shoot. They even got to witness how I edited the video, how you you know, got ready and prepped for it, and learned how to make the nice cuts, too, on the piecing out the chicken. And it came together really nicely. It's something that we put together. I'm really proud to talk about how our family came together as one unit, and now we're releasing this video on how to process chickens because I wish we had something like this four years ago when we got into it. Oh, absolutely. With chickens.
1: <laughs> right. We flew out to uh, Polyface Farms and learned from Joel firsthand right. several times. Mm-hmm. And then we toured around in our RV and visited regenerative farms to see how they were doing it. So, we've combined a lot of what we've learned we from have. all these different techniques, including our own And what I was born and raised with, I mean, I I actually butchered chicken when I was a little girl. I was six when I first started, and that was because mom had bought free-range chickens Mm -hmm. from the Asian grocery store. And I remember when I first opened my first um, one that had like a whole egg sack in there, (laughs) and I had another one that had a whole egg in there, like shell and everything. Yeah, And I thought that was the coolest thing. Because you never see that, even in science class, and that was just my everyday. So
0: you are such a nerd. I love, I love it.
1: Well, I was pre med for, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love surgeries and cutting. So, yeah, it really fascinated me, and I am so happy. Like yeah. it's a lot of techniques that I've learned from mom throughout the years, and how we cut, and importantly, this is how I grew up eating forty years ago, eating nose to tail. Because we had to. We're an immigrant family, and so we didn't have much at all. We had to stretch out our budget, and mom bought whole broiler chickens. We ate nose to tail. We Mm -hmm. ate all of the innards, all of the gizzards and heart, lungs, liver, and kidneys, and feet. And we saved the carcass to make our broth. And so all of that is finally being put together in this course where people can learn how to piece out your chicken
0: mm-hmm.
1: from nose to tail and make four complete dishes from one chicken, which, you know, costs are rising. And in the American culture and what you, like how you eat, you will roast a whole chicken, which mm-hmm. is great, but then that'll just be one meal. And for, you know, $25 now for a pasture-raised chicken mm-hmm. that we're buying or selling, that can add up really quickly. It's about How we lived as, you know, an Asian American family and how we can share that knowledge with others around the world.
0: Well, and the best part is we get to spread the word. We get to share all the knowledge that we've gained and saves everyone a lot of money. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm really excited. I'm so excited because this is why I set off to do this with my mom and to capture these recipes, these techniques and these stories And I'm glad to finally see it come to fruition. It is so exciting. It's taken me a lot longer than I expected, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm really excited.
0: It came out great. We had a lot of fun doing it.
1: Yeah. And so if you're interested in learning more about the course, you can go to sprinklewithsoil.com and uh, you can see the course listed there.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, please share this out and subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss an episode. And if you can't get enough of us, check us out on Instagram and YouTube at Sprinkle with Soil. We hope you join us next time.
1: Thanks, everyone.